We'll be in Genesis chapter 8 again this week as we continue our series through Genesis on Sunday mornings. Because of the wickedness of man, the earth, its inhabitants, the land-breathing animals have all been destroyed in God's global flood. Only Noah and his family, which was a total of eight souls, and the animals which God led to the ark have been spared. Last week we considered the raven and the dove that Noah sent forth, ascertaining if the earth is habitable once again. I won't recap all that, but there was a mouthful last week. I would ask you to go back and listen to it, especially if you know someone who is looking to their good works, is looking to keep the law as the means of their salvation. I would ask you to point them to that message because you can't do enough good works. The Bible's absolutely clear on that. I'm so shocked there's an erroneous teaching out there. It's so clear. Well, let's begin today. We'll read verses 13 through 22 of Genesis chapter 8. And it came to pass in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful, and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth. After their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled a sweet savor. The Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Amen. We left off in verse 12 last week, but you may recall two weeks ago I sort of covered verses 13 and 14 as we focused on the patience of Noah. I displayed my awesome math abilities by showing you what day they were in in every verse that we went through. Uh, I'm only teasing. But I want to quickly look at these two verses again this morning because it it leads in so nicely into verse 15. Remember in verses 10 and 11, Noah sent forth the dove the second time. And in verse 12, after waiting seven more days, he sends forth the dove again. The the second time he sent the dove, it came back with an olive leaf plucked off and it's uh, brought back to the ark. And then the third time that Noah sent the dove out, it didn't return anymore. I would think after this much time with the ark resting, after the indication of life from the dove, with the dove not returning anymore, that Noah would see fit to disembark the ark. But still, he doesn't leave the ark. Depending on what calendar one would use and and how you might calculate the mention of a day and beginning those days in my my calculations, you'll see some slight variations on the total number of days. For example, in verse 5, it it talks about the tops of the mountains were seen 
on the first day of the month. Then in the next verse it says, after 40 days. Do you, do you begin calculating on the first day of the month or the second day of the month? So th- there can be some differences here, some flexibility on the numbers. But generally speaking, at the end of verse, 20, uh, verse 12, they have now been on the ark for 291 days. Noah has the sign of life with this leaf. The dove has not returned, and it would seem like they're good to leave the ark. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you be ready to get off of the ark? It seems like all indications are it's time to move off of the ark, but Noah waits. If you do all the math, you'll discover 79 more days pass from the end of verse 12 until the end of verse 14. This is incredible patience by Noah. All outward signs indicate it's safe, that it's time to disembark. And so what is he waiting for at this point? Well, he's waiting for verses 15 and 16. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Remember the last time God spoke directly to Noah was over a year ago on the pages of Scripture. Over in chapter 7 and verse 1, he says, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Noah received the command from God to enter the ark, and so Noah would wait for God's command to leave the ark. And, and no matter how ready the earth seemed, in Noah's mind, with all the signs pointing to its time to move, Noah waits for God to direct him. Amen. And truly the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Amen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust not, uh, <laughs> trust not, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. You see, Noah did all that he could do up to that point. Up to a certain point, he did all that he could do, but there came a point when he had to wait. He, he had to wait for God patiently. <laughs> waiting for the Lord to make His his path clear and tell Him the next step to take. And so it is in our own lives. As we seek for the will of God, we should do all that we know to do. Amen? Amen. We, We should be busy doing what we know to do, but then there is usually a waiting point somewhere along the line where you have to let patience have her perfect work. This doesn't mean we sit idly by just doing nothing. But it means we continue to do what we're supposed to be doing. First Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. First Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So what do we do during the waiting? We do the revealed will of God already contained in the Bible. People want to know, what's the will of God for my life? Are you doing these simple things? You do what you know to be doing. We, we learn to give thanks in everything. That reveals how much we trust God. Not thanks for everything. Thanks in everything. You with me? We give ourselves to the process of sanctification. Why? Because the next verse over there in Thessalonians says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And and there's much more we could get into on this point, but is there somebody here that's seeking the will of God for their life? You know God wants you to do something. You you, you know God has something in store for you, 
then do those things that the Bible clearly says to be doing. There's many things to list, but 1 Thessalonians 5 is a good start. That'll keep you plenty busy. Listen to some of these little quick hits there. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Which means go to church and listen to preaching. That's what it means. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And abstain from all appearance of evil. That's enough to keep most of us employed for the rest of our life. And then God will reveal to you what the specific will of God is for your life as you do those things you know to be doing in the meantime. And in God's perfect timing, He will bring it to pass. Noah wasn't just sitting there in the ark. Okay, Lord, I've got the leaf (laughs) pinned on the wall. (laughs) It's in his Bible all crushed. The dove's not back. The raven's gone. Um, No, no, no. Listen, he had tasks that he had to do every day in the ark, amen? Things that he needed his attention on a daily basis. He stayed occupied with the task that God had given him as he's patiently waiting for God to say when it's time to leave the ark. As you seek for God's direction on the next step in your life, just stay faithful. Five to thrive. Pray. Read your Bible. Go to church. Witness to others and give. Stay faithful to what you know you ought to be doing. If you can't do that which is least, why be expected to be entrusted with more? And so, as you are seeking this, stay faithful. Matthew 25, 21, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. You have to stay faithful in that which seems least. So I don't like vacuuming. Stay faithful. Isn't that right? Some of y'all been around? That's what you do. I'll give you my testimony here in just a minute. Uh, well, I guess now. I, I sensed God calling me here 13 years before it came to pass. I received the promise of Psalm 119.45. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts six years before it was fulfilled. And during those 13 years, I didn't just sit idly by doing nothing, Amen. right? Amen. But I stayed busy doing what I knew to do. I kept ministering to my family. Amen. That's an all-the-time thing. <laughs> I kept ministering to my family. I kept teaching Sunday school. I kept filling pulpits. I, I kept mowing the grass at church. I kept cleaning the building where I could, and as I was asked to include the toilets. Amen. I I kept helping where I could. And that's what you have to do. So many want to come in and immediately be granted all this authority and all this leadership, and and yet you're not even proven yet. I don't even know you yet. And I'm going to hand over the youth group to you? Inside joke. Everybody wants to be the youth leaders. And then they do it, and they're like, yeah, somebody else could do it. I'm just kidding. That's not the last. Listen, in God's timing and in God's way, He will direct your path, and you will end up doing the will of God for your life. I've mentioned this before. I'm going to say it again. Kevin Byer told me years ago, sitting in our our kitchen, a missionary to Australia, and he said, you're too worried about the will of God 20 years from now. Just do the will of God today. And if you do that every day, you'll look back over 20 years, and you'll realize, I've been in the will of God the whole time. And that's still good advice. And so in time, you'll be able to look back and you'll see God was directing you all along. 
Be like Noah here. Stay patient. Don't get ahead of God. The mark of a maturing believer is patience. (laughs) Amen. So God told Noah to enter the ark. Noah waited for God to tell him to exit the ark. And Noah obeyed. He wouldn't leave without God's permission, and he would not stay when he was told to go. And though I tend to view their exit as a joyous occasion, I suppose one can look at this that perhaps they had some apprehension leaving the ark. What does the world look like? All my familiarities, they're gone. Everyone I knew is now gone. The whole landscape's going to look different. There were perhaps many questions. For some people, learning the will of God isn't really your problem, but it's actually following through with the will of God that becomes an issue. You wanted to know what to do, but now you know what to do. You find yourself hesitating. Some don't want to leave their their home, the familiarity of home. Maybe it's a geographic location. I remember a preacher here came once and said, if it ain't Dixie, it won't do. Is that what God said? For some, they just don't want to leave certain areas. But but it may be the will of God. Um, And so sometimes following through can be an issue. Um, Some allow all the questions to keep them from moving forward. But what about this? What if? Listen, you can what if things to death. You know, what if this platform gives way? And anyway, I mean, you, you, can, you can what if to the point that you don't do anything. And, and so you got to be careful about some of these things. When, when God gives the command that it's time now, then it's time to obey and trust God's leading. Amen. I can tell you from my own personal testimony, there were times um, where I did lose track. And, and I did get off course. And listen, there were things I did not want to give up coming here. I wanted to be here, but I didn't want to give up certain things. I didn't want to give up property. I didn't want to give up being with my parents. I didn't want to give up a lot of these plans that we had set into motion. Um, Sometimes you're going to have to say goodbye to people you don't want to say goodbye to. But I knew I had to be in God's will. And I couldn't allow good to be the enemy of best. For some, you may be thinking, boy, it sure seems hard to really discern God's will and to understand all these things correctly. Am I moving at the right time? Am I moving in the right direction? Is it me? Is it my flesh? Is it Satan? Is it God? Is it? Um, listen, it, it can be difficult if our faith begins to waver. And again, I know this from my own personal experience. If God gave you a promise, don't waver from that. And listen, it can be difficult, but it's not really difficult when you know you've heard from God and you don't lose faith in that promise. Hebrews 11.11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Do you see what happened in her life? Yeah. Listen, when when did Abraham and Sarah struggle with the promise God gave to them? It was when they got impatient. It is when they didn't have faith in God's promise. And eventually patience did have her perfect work in their life. And God's promise came to pass, but I'll, I'll promise you it wasn't until she judged him faithful that, that all this came to, to pass. And she had to learn that God's timing is best. And so did Abraham for that matter. Noah knew to wait for God's word, and that's what he did. He was assured in, in his heart that God was going to make it plain in his time, and he did. 
For the one who's walking with God is not as difficult as you may think, but we overcomplicate matters. We really do. We overcomplicate the Scriptures. We, We overcomplicate this whole thing. And we overthink things. And we want to have the fleece, and we, we, want the, we want all these things. Well, did God give you a promise? Trust He'll bring it to pass. Amen. All right, that's sermon number one. Now, it's noteworthy to remind ourselves of how God is speaking directly to Noah. <laughs> it's a chatty crowd today, so this should be fun to talk about. Um, God speaks to Noah because he's the spiritual leader of his house. And this is God's design for the home. It does not mean Mrs. Noah was less spiritual, right? She probably had the verses on the mirror. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of you have those. It, It doesn't mean God thought that she was less spiritual or his sons and their wives were less spiritual. That's not the case here. Um, it doesn't mean that God can't or won't speak to them. We know from the Bible He does. He does speak to women. He does speak to children. He does speak to dads. He, he speaks to all of us, and, and I just kind of said that concerning His will. But when it comes to leading our homes, God's Word is clear that a husband is designed to be the spiritual leader of the home. Amen. As the spiritual leader, Noah is the one that God is directing. God directed Noah to make the ark. God gave the directions to build the ark to Noah. God spoke to Noah to gather the provisions which would be needed for their time on the ark. God spoke to Noah to lead his family onto the ark. And God spoke to Noah when it was time to lead them off of the ark. And just as important is verse 18, that Noah's family followed his leading. Amen. Now that can be tough sometimes. Noah went forth, they followed him out. And so men... To the best of your ability, you need to be the one your family can look to for spiritual direction and leadership. Can they come to you with with questions and you you answer them? And to the best of their ability, a family needs to be willing to follow as he is led of God. Husbands, can your wife come to you with spiritual things? Does she know she can come to you and you provide her an answer? Or at least you'll try to find it, amen? Amen. And you're not less of a man if you say, I don't know, i gotta, I got to find out. But, but does she have that safety and that comfort of coming to you? Uh, dads, can your children come to you for spiritual direction and leadership? They're going to be seeking for God's will. And can they come to you for leadership? Are you taking time to learn the Bible that you can provide the answers needed to lead your home? This is good preaching, even though we're not really sensing it at this point. Noah is in tune with God, and his family has learned to trust his leadership, which really shouldn't have been too difficult at this point. Can I get a witness? I mean, look, before they got on the ark, yeah, I could see. Maybe we're, Noah, I don't know, man. I'm going to trust you, but you're building this goofy thing in our yard, and the zoning committee hates us. The, you know, we're breaking all the covenants. But at this point, when everyone else has died and you're still alive, you're probably going to trust them now. So he, he should have some street credibility at this point. Um, in verse 17, God tells Noah to bring all the animals forth as well. In verse 19, this happens. That they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And the snake says, we can't multiply, we're adders. Yeah. 
God gave the command for all life to multiply after creation, and now the old world's been destroyed. Sin has been purged after the flood. God once again gives the command for life to multiply in this new world, if you will. Now, imagine the scene if you can. Put yourself in these verses and yourself on the ark for a total of 377 days. 220 of those days, the ark is resting. The raven's gone. The dove came back with a leaf. The dove's gone. What are we doing here? And now they waited on God. God's perfect timing has arrived. And I can just imagine the joy of disembarking what had to smell terrible. <laughs> At least to some degree. I mean, it's just not my, my thing. Amen. Some of you like that stuff. We should make a candle called Petting Zoo. No? All they knew was gone. All their acquaintances are gone. And yet, I still believe there's this, this joy of finally stepping off the ark. So you're stepping off the ark. What's the first thing you do? Maybe you'd get busy planting a garden. Maybe you'd get busy building a house. Maybe you'd dig a well. Maybe you'd focus on your temporal needs and providing for your family. But what did Jesus say in Matthew 6.25? Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, and nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Matthew 6.32, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. This is exactly what we find Noah doing in verse 20. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah's first inclination is not towards earthly things. But his first act is toward God. Amen. Is everybody with me? Amen. He was more concerned about the glory of God than he was for the temporal good of him and his family. Amen. And while he was commanded to leave the ark, he was not commanded to build an altar and make a sacrifice. He is doing this not by constraint, but willingly. He's doing this out of a grateful heart. Under the law, you'll find this called a free will offering. Of your own free will, you're deciding that you're going to honor God. Noah was anxious to express his thankfulness that God had saw him through. That God had extended mercy and grace to him and his family. And because it was God who saw them through, it was God who needed to be worshipped. Amen. It is God who commands our attention. He deserves our worship, our love, our adoration, all of our honor, everything that we can do. The pinnacle of life is bringing honor to God. Matthew Henry said, God that is first must be first served. And He begins well 
that begins with God. So before Noah builds a life, listen to me, he first builds an altar. We see Noah offered of every clean animal as a burnt offering on the altar. One of every clean animal. Don't worry, he's not jeopardizing their reproduction here. Remember, God told them, the clean animals, you bring sevens, not twos. Some will say, well, it's the thought that counts. Not with God. It wasn't enough that Noah offered a sacrifice. It had to be a clean sacrifice. If God was going to accept it, it needed to be right in God's sight. God wants and God deserves our best. Now the act of making an offering by fire, it demonstrates the heart of the offerer. It's an act that shows it is the offerer who deserves to be consumed by the fire of God's divine justice. But it also showed the offerer's understanding that they needed a sacrifice to die in their place. Amen. If they were to be forgiven, if they were to be spared by God, they understood, I bring this of my own free will because I acknowledge that I need someone to die in my place. Because I deserve death and I deserve to be consumed. Therefore, this offering, it's, it's an offering made by faith. It showed a thankful heart for God's mercy and pardoning grace. Noah is expressing his thankfulness to God for his goodness and miraculously preserving him and his family. Noah understood that glory is due unto God and he didn't hesitate to pay his debt. Amen. God says, glory is due unto my name. Are you paying what's due? And he did so, listen to me now, he did so by going to the altar. I think you can gather around here that we believe the altar is an important aspect of a believer's walk with God. Some don't understand it. Some don't even like it. And some churches have even done away with it altogether. But I know in my own life, the altar has been a critical part of my walk with God. And I have observed that those who will live a life at the altar will live an altered life. Altars are clearly important to God. Obviously, they are pleasing to God. We can make the case that the first altar ever built was built by God Himself in the Garden of Eden when He offered up an animal to make coats of skin for Adam and Eve. We can, we can also make the argument that Abel was using an altar for his sacrifice. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, David, Solomon, and Elijah all built altars to worship and to honor God and glorify Him. God wanted an altar at the tabernacle and at the temple. It was His instructions. In the Revelation, it speaks of an altar before God's throne. I'll never be convinced that altars aren't good for the child of God. Now, before you think I'm trying to generate an altar call, I'm not. That's not my intent. You respond as God leads you, amen? But I'm trying to emphasize to you the importance of altars in a believer's life and how you should not shy away from kneeling down at an altar. Maybe you're thinking, what's the point? It's not like we have a sacrificial system today. We may not have an animal sacrificial system today because Christ fulfilled all that, amen? Amen. But listen to what the Apostle Paul did write. 
Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And the symbolism is clear there in Romans 12. It's a reference back to the Old Testament picture of offering sacrifices upon the altar. We, we have no need of offering a blood sacrifice today because Christ's blood has already paid our sin debt and removed our sins. But we can offer our lives upon the altar of sacrifice. We're saying to God that we are dying to our desires, to our plans, and that we are giving ourselves wholly to God to control and to consume us as He sees fit. This is our reasonable service. That's what Paul says. It's acceptable in God's sight. Paul talked about being offered upon the sacrifice of service. And we're saying to God... I understand I'm the one that deserved to die. And we're expressing our thankfulness for Christ's sacrifice in our place, His mercy and His grace that He extends to us as a result of Christ. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I know those who view others going to the altar routinely as some strange practice. It seems redundant to you. Perhaps you just haven't learned the joy of living at an altar. Psalm 83 verses 3 and 4, or Psalm 84 verses 3 and 4. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee. Selah. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting if you don't go to an altar, you're the devil. That's not my intent. I know some who physically can't. It doesn't have to be every service. I get all that. But I hope you know my heart. There's just something about symbolically laying your all on the altar. I know you can do that where, you're, where you sit. God sees the altar of your heart. But I think there's something about an outward move toward God, don't you? Amen. Noah could have just led his family in a silent prayer off on the side of the ark so the animals couldn't hear. <laughs> he could have just whispered a prayer of thanks as he exited the ark. He makes a public move, physical public move towards God in front of his family and leads them to the altar. It wasn't required, but God sure was well pleased. We'll pick this up more next time. Notice the beginning of verse 21, how pleased God is. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, and then he goes on to say what he says. Before the flood, what did it say about God's heart? He said I was, he, he was grieved at his heart because of the sinfulness of man. But now we see God is blessed in his heart. Listen, God loves the altar, and so should you. Finally, I have to mention the greatest sacrifice God's been pleased with is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. He offered himself a ransom for many. And this is what Noah's sacrifice ultimately is looking forward to. Amen. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, 
and have given himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. God was well-pleased with Christ's sacrifice, and he died for you. Isn't that what we heard right before preaching? He died to save you. Knowing all your faults, all your shortcomings, all of your sins, He died for you. And if you need to be saved, then you just need to come before God's altar today and receive Christ's sacrifice for you, recognizing that it was you who deserved God's wrath. And to those of you who are saved this morning, just as God was pleased with Christ's sacrificial death, so God will be pleased with your sacrificial life. Maybe you need to come before God's altar this morning and say, Here am I, Lord. Use my life for your honor and your glory. Consume me until there's nothing left of me but everything of you. Then God can get glory out of your life. Let's pray.